Welcome to the Music with Mike podcast. Whether you are a music educator or simply a music lover, this podcast is for you. On the podcast, we talk about all things music from the first measure to the last. I'm your host, Mike Bossman. This week on the podcast, I travel down to my alma mater, the University of South Dakota, to talk with Dr. David Holdhusen, who's the Director of Choral Activities and Department Chair, to talk all things choral music, from picking great repertoire for your groups, leading a rehearsal to maximize every minute that you have, using warm-ups as a way to enhance your singer's abilities, conducting skills for you, the teacher, the conductor in the room. We also talked about the premier group down at USD, the Chamber Singers. We talked about what it's like to pick repertoire for a college group and how that is different from your own groups what it's like to record a CD, and is it possible for my group to record a CD? And we also talked about what it's like to work with composers, how to get music written for your group. I hope you enjoy this episode with Dr. David Holdhusen. Welcome to the Choral Hour. All right, so I'm here down at my alma mater, USD, go USD, and I'm here talking with Dr. David Holdhusen, and today we're talking all things choral, all things choral. So Dr. Holdhusen, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. So you are the chair of the music department, associate professor and director of choral activities, is that correct? That is correct. So on a day-to-day basis, what is it you do? So uh, the teaching part of my job, I direct the chamber singers and I teach the conducting sequence. I also run the recital lab, but that's mostly just coordination. Um, so so the, the choirs are, are my main focus on conducting, and then my administrative duties uh, are to basically keep the department afloat, I guess. I, I, I deal with all the financial things. I deal with all of the, the marketing um, and just day-to-day operations of the department. Perfect. And so, uh, David, you and I met about 11 years ago, we decided, yep. at Music Camp. Yes, indeed. Summer Music Camp, which we're both still doing. I yes, we are. That. And it just ended a few weeks ago, and you looked much more well-rested than you did the <laughs> last time I saw you. It's a long week. And uh, how many students do we have usually come? Uh, roughly between around 180 every year. Uh, we've been as low as 170 and as high as 205. Wow. So if you haven't brought your students on your shameless plug, come down That's to right. USD Summer Music Camp. It's awesome. It's a great week. It's always a week after the 4th of July. Perfect. Band, chorus, orchestra, the whole works. Yep. All right, so let's talk. uh, This episode's all things choral. Let's start with your main group that you conduct, the Chamber Singers. And what was it like coming into this group uh, 11 years ago? Yep. Starting out with a group that you'd never seen, never met. What was that like starting out with them? So my this was my first collegiate job was here. And so coming in, it was a, a change to kind of think in that sense, a little bit more trained musician, a little bit older singer. Um, but in the same time, it, it's the exact same process. It's learning the music, it's polishing, getting pitches and rhythms learned, getting uh, dynamics and things learned, and then polishing and really making the piece their own. So in that sense, it's it's really not any different than what I was doing before I got mm-hmm. here. Um, so coming in, it was just really trying to figure out, I think the biggest part of my job is figuring out what kind of music 
to program right and and what i think the choir can do each year mm-hmm. and push them while at the same time being able to give them a good musical experience so the, i think that's the the biggest thing regardless of whether you're collegiate or elementary is finding that repertoire for them so what was the difference between teaching your public schools versus teaching a college what kind of musicianship level did you think about are you going more in depth on lyrics or the text? Are you thinking more musical freight? What what is it that you think is different? I think you can just get more in depth with the music. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I was teaching high school, a lot of times it just became a race against time right. to get pitches and rhythms mm-hmm. learned, um, and then teach the dynamics. Whereas here is, I feel like I've been able to allow them to explore the dynamics a little bit more. And my teaching has evolved quite a bit as well. And I've become more interested in that part of the process as well, making sure that they have a connection to the music. They're not just singing the pitches and rhythms and Mm -hmm. dynamics on the page, but that they are emoting the music. And so I think that by being here and allowing that to happen, I've also evolved as a teacher, and that's become more important. And I do that now when I do festivals or other things. I try to get the the students to ev- to emote the music a little bit more. I feel like that's the biggest challenge. Like I teach middle school, it's just hard to get them because they're young, and I mean they're but they're they get stuff. Yeah, they I get think it. that's the big difference is that there's a little bit more life experience mm-hmm. at the college level For sure. and they, they, you know, they're on their own and they're, they're starting to evolve their own think thought processes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I do think that that's something that they can certainly buy into more. And you have the advantage that students come in having learning their music. They, most of the time, most I of do time. expect that. Um, that's certainly not the case in a middle school right. or even in a high school setting. Right. Um, there's still some pitch, pounding and right. uh, it needs to happen. But but I do expect them to do a lot more. I expect, I, I and I did this when I was teaching high school too, I have a lot of sectional time. Right. I, I think that the more they can do in sectionals, the more that we can get into the, the meat of the music instead of, again, racing the clock just to try to get the pitches learned. For sure. So how many on an average, you would you say are non-music majors in your chamber singers group? I think it varies. About, I would say maybe 40%, 40 to 50%. Um, it's as I have been here longer and we've kind of built the program mm-hmm. up, we have more majors than we used to. My first year, I would say it was more maybe 40, 60 the other way where right. we had 40% majors. I'd say it's around 60% now. So as I got here and we were chatting before the podcast, I noticed that you were Looking over music, you've got stuff. Let's let's delve into this topic of repertoire. Okay, and we're going to come back to it later and talk about middle school and high school level. But as a as you plan for your college chamber singers group, your touring group, your kind of top group, what thoughts go into mind as you plan music? So for me, with this group, it's a little bit different than with some of my other groups. And when I was doing the other choirs here, I thought differently. But mm-hmm. with chamber singers, I program a thematic concert. Okay, so I have to have the inspiration of what the theme is each year. And so you, once, start, you start with the theme yes. before you pick the music. Yeah, okay. generally. Sometimes I will have a piece or two in mind, mm-hmm. and that will will make the theme come. Like last year uh, for the 2017 tour, we did a piece called Jenny. And that piece I heard when I was doing a clinic uh, someplace in South Dakota. And I heard it and fell in love with it and mm-hmm. literally on the drive home the theme came to me and yeah. everything started to fall into place and so then it was just plugging in the music with that this year it's been kind of more of a struggle and we're not even there yet and my initial theme title 
I, I may even wind up changing just because I don't really think it quite fits the way the music mm-hmm. all came together. Mm-hmm. But so that's where I start is whatever the theme is and however I want uh, the music to flow from there. And then I fit within the theme. I look for a time period or or a text. A text really drives a lot of what I'm trying to do. Okay. I want something that's going to transition from a happy thought to a, a sad thought. So sure. what text will make that happen? Or I want a celebratory song, but not something that is is over the top celebration um but but will guide us in that direction or i want something in a foreign language or Mm -hmm. so all of those things um really start the process and then for me as a college director i kind of feel like my job one of my my things that i really want to happen is i feel like i want to champion new music right so i spend a lot of time listening to new things Mm -hmm. um going to youtube or Spotify or the CDs that we all get in the mail right, from the yep. publishers and yep. listening to things and then seeing how those things. And so sometimes I'll find, oh, this is a great piece, but it doesn't fit my theme. Mm-hmm. So it goes on a bulletin board or it goes on a on a scrap a note like here on my computer that will remember this for next year or That's whatever. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if I just programmed everything I found, right. then my theme might not necessarily work. But I know there's always great music out there. Oh, for sure. And then it's to try to figure out, you know, a balance, try to find some things you want to give. At, at the end of the day, you're still a teacher and you're mm-hmm. still trying to get your students a broad base of things. So you want them to experience time periods, different composers, different languages, all of those things. So you do try to balance that in as well. But I do think that for for chamber singers, it's mostly about the theme and how the music can fit together to tell a story from beginning to end, which goes back to what what I was talking about earlier with the just wanting the emotion of the music. I think for the chamber singers, it's the emotion of the program as well. And right. I want the audience to go on the journey that I have envisioned in putting it all together. And have you finished this year's? I'm very close. I'm still, you can see my notes here. I got things crossed out and arrows drawn and timing and making sure. Because, you know, in the end, you, you want to have a program. But for me, the biggest problem is making it within the confines of a two-hour concert or less. You know, if you get 90 minutes of music, that's pushing. You add intermission and applause and all those things. We're we're getting up there, so it's trying to get it under that, um, and that's where all of the the scribblings happen. What do you do with pieces that the students really aren't feeling? But you're feeling as part of your theme. What do you what do you use to motivate students to like a piece? That's always a challenge, I think, for any level. Well, first of all, I think you have to like it and you have to be emotionally invested in it. For sure. If you're not, there's no way you can get the students. You know, I, I hear teachers say, well, this piece is good for the students. Mm-hmm. I don't like it, but it's good for the students. And I just, I think that's a terrible philosophy because they'll see right through that. Oh, for sure. They will see that you don't like it. And then, well, if he doesn't like it, then why should I like it? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. You have to be passionate. And then you have to be able to speak passionately about the piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I think the, the final step to really make them understand it is to tie it into something make them make the some personal connection to it tie it into their life tie it into a story find something that makes 
it more than just a piece of music. We right. did a piece a few years ago called Naya Sin, which was a Navajo war chant, mm-hmm. which I think the choir did not really like when I right. gave it to them. And you can tell when they don't like it because <laughs> they don't practice it. And right. so then you have to bang more notes. <laughs> and so what we finally did was I almost made the rehearsal like a war chant. I made them stand in a circle and move and do all of the things that that we were going to do in order just to get them to feel the rhythm, feel the power of the piece. Yeah. And then we started, we added actually choreography to it. And there were a lot of neat things that we eventually did once uh-huh. they got it learned. But it was the, the key was to get them to buy into the music and buy right. into the piece itself. And I think there were some that maybe never really liked it. Mm-hmm. But I know I turned people on to sure. it just by the fact that I was excited about it and that I made them find you know, anger behind it Mm -hmm. or made them find a conflict that this was their way of, of dealing with the conflict. And, uh, I think that's kind of the sense. I think that's really important is making them find something that they can connect to the music. We do 20 to 25 pieces a year. And so I know when I put it out there that there's going to be music that may not be their top choice Mm -hmm. or things that they would ever find. Sure. But I think that the important thing is that they, whether or not in the end it's their favorite piece, they can emote the music and they can feel what the composer was trying to express with the piece. Absolutely. Oh, that's great advice. So speaking of rehearsals, we'll talk more rehearsal planning later, but when you walk into a chamber singer's rehearsal specifically, do you have a written out plan? Do you just have in your mind, I'm going to work on these five pieces? What, what kind of goes through your mind? I don't write out a plan anymore. I used to. Sure. But I don't anymore. Basically now I know, um, so the way that I, and this is maybe getting ahead of the game, but the way I structure my rehearsal is I always start with something that they kind of know, mm-hmm. even if we just sing through it. Right. We don't even do anything rehearsal on it. Right. And then... Um, then we do our announcements and things, and yep. then then we get into the real meat of the rehearsal. And I will have sections blocked out in my mind. Sure. So I want to work on this piece, measures forty five to seventy five or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. And we're going to work those sections, and then I will always try to tie it on either side of that section that we're working on, so mm-hmm. that they can see the way the whole piece flows, and then move on to the next thing. And so I do have a, a very distinct plan ready to go. I don't write it down, but you can't just go into rehearsal with the idea of I'm going to run this piece and work on what's wrong. Right, and then, right. Because if you do that, you get, um, you, you've all been to, to concerts and things yes. as teachers where you know they know the beginning really well. <laughs> That's right. And then That's you right. get to page five and you're not so sure <laughs> yeah. they're going to yeah. get from page five to page eight. And right. that, that can happen. That's why I, I do really try to find what I want to do. And I, I section out my my rehearsals again we had do 25 pieces a year they get a packet of it mm-hmm. but my syllabus has due dates for music and i oh, ha- i have it idea. set up from the very beginning of the year these are the songs that i think we're going to do on the first concert the holiday concert the spring concert whatever it is mm-hmm. and of course that can change right. and alter and that's fine and then i have due dates for for music and if we do something bigger then i'll have section due dates mm-hmm. you have to have these eight pages learned this week and then Three weeks later, you have to have the second eight or whatever it is. That's a cool idea. So um, I, I think planning starts even before you're going into the rehearsal as to what the overall arch is from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, what you need to get accomplished and how soon. 
Yeah, and I think I think a lot of teachers see sections of pieces in their mind, but don't always see the whole piece coming together. So I think that's yeah, that's I great. agree. So uh, we're sitting in your office, and I see your CD you guys recorded, "Let Me Fly." Yep. Uh, when did you? When was the CD released? Uh, last October. Last October, I saw you at a big release party. That we was, did. It was, was fun. fun. After reunion choir, and then we did a release party and. So when I was here at USD, we recorded some tracks. We never recorded a full CD. I wonder what ever happened to those tracks. But we recorded some, and it was a long, lengthy process. Tell us about the process of, of hey, we're going to record a CD, too. It's done. What was that Okay. in a nutshell? So <laughs> this, this one, um, and this is the process that I started. Before this CD, we did another CD, which was all live recordings. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that was a fine CD. But, for example, we did the Tekeli, uh, There Will Be Rest. And mm-hmm. there is a moment in that very tender moment plain as day you can hear somebody blowing their nose right, of course <laughs> so at that point i said you know if we're going to take the next level we've got to do studio recordings mm-hmm. and so what i do now is each year after the tour is over we give our home concert the tour gets over a week yep. later we give our home concert the next day sunday we spend four hours in a recording session and so then i'll take two or three years worth of recordings to actually make the cd gotcha so the recording session is you know it's what you expect you want to run a piece so you have a complete run yep. and then it's just sectionalizing things if the piece is shorter maybe it's multiple runs and then what i usually do is i'll run it and then if there are certain sections i want to hit and then i will run it again and it's i do the last run i'll stop every time okay there's a section here we want to do all of our music is a cappella, so intonation is important for sure and if we you know if we merge the key then the track is unusable Mm -hmm. so so then that's why i do the from beginning to end stopping and and doing sections because then that gives me tracks once the process is over the students go away and i get the the raw data right it's you know i figure it takes me about an hour and a half for every piece that we do to listen to the tracks and all i do is write start here stop here and i send it we have a wonderful engineer doug Gaston, out of uh, minneapolis who does all the recording okay. and then he puts the tracks together for okay. us and then that's that's how the recording process goes this one is on a label um, and so then it's after i get everything done it's working with the label to figure out the order to they did the artwork for us and then i approve the artwork mm-hmm. um and then we work with them on the release and they take care of all the rights and getting things online and those things, which I could not do before. So right. I'm really glad that, that they do. And it was a great relationship with them. Um, so how many, forth. how many years of recordings is on this? That, CD? that particular one, there are three years, three years. Okay. Um, and the next one I'm hoping will be next year, next October. So October, 2018, mm-hmm. we'll have mostly two years, but there'll be a couple that I've pulled from past years. I usually record about 10 to 12 tracks during that four hour block. Um, some of which I know will never be used, but right. I want a decent recording of right. some of which I'm hoping will be CD quality. And then it's sitting down and at the end of that time, listening to those 30 tracks and picking the 15 <laughs> to 16 mm-hmm. that will go on the CD. So where do you guys record at? At Alf's. We actually do, oh, do? it okay. right at the auditorium. Um, I think it's a great space, and the engineers found we actually record by standing in the audience oh, and really? singing towards the stage. Oh, interesting! He said it makes the the reverb and things better, and it helps him make a little have a little more control over the levels. So, yeah, we stand in the first five rows, hmm. uh, and he sets the mics up, and that's how it goes. So, were the students pretty excited with 
this CD coming out. They are. They're very excited about the process or about the uh, the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes those days, I'm often convinced that at the end of that Sunday, they don't like me very much anymore. <laughs> Because it's a it's a lot of singing and it's a lot of nitpicky listening and sure. it, you know if I had the resources that session would be twice as long and would be twice as picky but right. you know we want to just we got to do what we got to do yeah and uh, you you need to if you're doing a real recording four hours is about the extent I mean the students are spent right. at the end of that you would need a a pretty significant break before you did a second session or I know some people that will do two days worth of sessions they'll uh-huh. do a big session on let's say Sunday night and then another session on Monday night, but I do what I have to do. So yeah. Would you say this is something that's doable? Maybe not for a label, but doable for a high school. Oh, or absolutely. Middle school group? I did it when I was teaching high school in Illinois, um, the end of the year, you know, you have that sometimes have that awkward time between oh, yeah. the end of the last concert and the end of the year or graduation or whatever you mm-hmm. have. And you don't, spend you don't want to spend four weeks on graduation music right you can pull back some of the stuff and then we would do a four hour three hour i guess it was there a three hour recording session during that was our final time we did it we actually Mm, went to a a church in town and did the session there and then i same thing it was a a guy an engineer person did it Mm -hmm. and then i took the draw tracks and i did the timings and then he put it all together and Hmm. we had a nice a nice memento from each year so guess I never thought about that, but that would be a great way to use that end of the year time. It really is. And it keeps the students motivated yeah, and sure. keeps you motivated. Right. You know how hard it is yes. sometimes at the end of the year <laughs> to get through. Um, it's, it was a great way to finish out the year. So I'd seen online that you guys had worked with the composer, Johnny Priano. Yep. Priano. Priano. Like excuse me. Priano, like piano. And what was that like? Well, in, tell me about finding him. So... It's been an amazing experience, and in fact, he's on this list that's sitting on my desk. <laughs> uh, I actually emailed him earlier this week and said, don't want to rush the artistry, but what yeah. have you got for me? <laughs> and he sent me about five things. But what happened was, um, I think it was 2010, we did a piece of his called Vieni Now Mio Cuore, which was his first published piece. It was okay. brand new. I heard it on one of those recording things and yep. fell in love with it, and I thought, we're going to do this. Yep. And so we were one of the first choirs that did it we got it recorded put up on youtube cool. and he found it on youtube and we were it was us and one other not as good choir <laughs> that uh, not that ours was spectacular uh-huh. but um it, so he found it and commented to it and the the person who was uploading our stuff to youtube at that time got the message that he had commented yeah and that's came cool running into me the yeah. next morning and said oh he commented he loved our music and went on and on and so we started a little dialogue there and he kind of know who i was and he i yeah. knew who he was a couple of years later we did another piece of his put it up on the recording and he really liked that one uh-huh and uh that one was called search me oh god and he really enjoyed that one and sent me and and very nice email afterwards and at the end of the email said you know i have a lot of pieces that i have that are not published that i'd like to get out there and i just need a vehicle to do it and he said all i want for it is a great recording wow so going from there we every year since then so every year since i think 2013 either 12 or 13 i can't remember which Mm -hmm. now he sent me a manuscript piece wow and we have done it every year. And and one of the pieces we did, which was just recently published, called Do Not Fear, which is gorgeous, and anybody who's listening to this should check <laughs> it out. Um, he kind of became an, 
an anthem for the choir. You see on my wall over there, there's a, uh, where did it go? Um, there's, oh, no, no, we didn't put it on my wall in here. We actually sent it to him. Oh, cool. There's some lyrics from the piece because the choir just kind of built into it and, and believed you know, that the piece was about them. Uh-huh. And uh, so we sent it to him when he got married. And I was at his house a few years ago, and uh, the picture is hanging. It's, wow. it's the choir with these uh-huh. lyrics hanging above his piano in his studio, which I thought was amazing. That is. But um, so we, we did that and became very close there. And then the next year he sent us a piece called Psalm 23, which has not yet been published, that was about the death of his grandfather, wow. who he was very close to. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, one of the students said to me, you know, it's so great that he's trusting with us, this with us. Can we, can we bring him here? And so we actually took up a collection, got tickets, got him tickets and flew him here. Wow. He was here for the tour concert and the home concert, the last tour concert and the home concert. And uh, he was so moved by it. The next year he wrote a piece specifically for us. And so wow. it's just kind of been this back and forth. That's really cool. Uh, he's been here. I've been out there. Yeah. And uh, every year we get a piece from him. And all, like I said, all he wants is a, a quality recording because then he can use that to help with publication. Yeah. Um, he's just a, a wonderful guy. He Skypes with us every year yeah. at the beginning of the year to kind of tell us about the piece uh-huh. and point out things and listen to us. And then we usually do one more Skype with him right before we go on tour so we can sing it for him one more time. And then every year I send him the recording and wow. he says, well, I'll have something great for you next yeah. year. So it's a cool relationship that you built. It really is. And it, it's, it's one of those things that is completely a 21st century relationship sure. because uh, we met via all online mm-hmm. and we uh, we had all of our interactions via email and Facebook and and those things. And it wasn't until several years after this relationship that we actually met in person. Wow. Uh, That's so cool. So what's coming up for Chamber Singers next year, 2017, 2018? Uh, it'll be a, a fairly standard year for us. We'll have our tour in March. We always mm-hmm. go on tour during spring break. Um, this year we're going to go west. I know we'll, we'll be in in Deadwood and we're going to be in Rapid City. And I'm going to tr- we'll do our annual closing concert in Sioux Falls. And we'll go. Um, we'll figure out where else we're going. I'm working on those details now. We'll have our spring and fall showcase concerts. We'll sing for graduation. We'll. Yep our holiday concert, department holiday concert, and then who knows what else might come up <laughs> as the year goes along. We've had a lot of unique adventures as, as part of that choir. Well, it's fun to see where Chamber Singers has gone. I, I sang in Chamber Singers all four years that I was here, so it's fun to see them grow and see where you've taken them. So that's awesome. It's a great group. It is. Let's move on to some kind of general choral things, more geared toward uh, maybe high school, middle school, or some elementary stuff. Um, we talked about repertoire earlier. What advice do you have for um, maybe young directors or directors who have been, you know, programming the same pieces over mm-hmm. and over again to, to find new music or to um, find pieces that aren't cheesy, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and like we talked about earlier, get those pieces that are going to engage yeah. students. Well, I think repertoire is the most important thing that we do, the selection of repertoire, um, because it's the textbook for the year. It's It's what's going to motivate the students to participate really mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of us fall into the trap of wanting to do something that the students will like right and I think it's more important like I was saying earlier it's more important for us to help them to understand why the music is great regardless mm-hmm. of what it is mm-hmm. 
So it's it's very time consuming and very uh, you you have to work at it. It's not you don't just you know open up the Pepper catalog and see what their editor's choices are for the year and pick those. I think it's got to be more in depth than that. It's a lot of listening, but you also have to know your choir. Oh, for sure. Um, I think a lot of young first year teachers, Mm -hmm. you know, when they get out of school, a lot of what they know for repertoire is what they sang in chamber singers or whatever their choir is. And they may be in a position where you can't necessarily do any of that music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always do try to find some music that we do during the chamber singers program that could be easily programmed in a, in a smaller, less developed choir. Cause yep. I think they need to know that. Yeah. But that's where I think you, you need to do your listening. You need to talk to veteran teachers for sure. You need to, to rely on your music history and your, your, your choral lit classes and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and then it's just, it's, it's all about finding the fit for your choir. If you've got a choir that has two guys in it and both of them are basses, yep. <laughs> you've got to find the piece that works yeah. for them. Yep. Um, and it's not just about finding the pop song or the 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 musical song mm-hmm. or something like that. You've got to give them a wide range of things. I think in the end, if you are excited about what you're doing and you're showing them what's exciting about the music, they're going to want to sing whatever you do. Absolutely. One of the things that I did when I was teaching was I picked the music for the choir, and then every year during for the last concert of the year, I let them choose a piece. Uh-huh. And it could be whatever they chose. As long as I could find an arrangement of it, it yep. was fine. And, you know, oftentimes they would pick the pop song. Right. And they would often wind up hating that piece right. because the music is poorly written. Yep. It's not what they hear on the radio. Nope. <laughs> and then they wind up having to sing the, you know, the the typical alto line, G, 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 F sharp. G, 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 F sharp. And they don't, they don't like it. Yeah. Um, whereas they might do something Handel or Haydn where they have different things or it's it's more contrapuntal or it's fugal or something where they'll have melody mm-hmm. more often. And, and at the end, they'll like it. And towards the end of my tenure, the concert choir at the school that I taught at Lake Zurich High School in Illinois, they just stopped picking they just said no you just pick yeah they, they didn't want they didn't want yeah. to do it anymore because yeah. they often didn't like what they picked so they just said you find something yeah. for us so i think directors have a lot of trouble sometimes with warm-ups what warm-ups to do i think i get caught in the trap of okay i know these same five let's just get them going it's a way to get the kids quiet and get started i think sometimes we forget that those are our technique building yep. times so what, what are your thoughts on warm-ups or what warm-ups do you use or do you have specific ones that you like or so for me i don't do a lot of warm-ups with the chamber singers i expect them to come to class warmed up and ready to go yep that's the nature of who i teach yep yep but for uh anybody else Mm -hmm. i think warm-ups are vitally important i spent a good five to seven minutes in rehearsal on it um what i did when i was teaching high school i you know that beginning of the the class time when you have 18 questions and people have to turn in their fundraising money and all of that stuff. Right. So I always had a student conductor. Okay. And their job was to go to the piano as soon as they got in the room and Mm -hmm. start the warm up process. So, and that's the, what you were talking about them, getting them quiet, getting them singing, getting them. So, so that I knew uh, a minute or two before the bell rang, they were already singing. Mm -hmm. So that, that person would do those warm ups for a few minutes until I could get through all the questions and all of the everything. Right. And then 
I then I would get into mine and you're absolutely right it's the it's the the building so a lot of warm-ups that work on specific things doing the same warm-ups is not necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. but getting them to go on to automatic pilot is what right. you want to try to avoid right uh, so I'll work on things that maybe are specific to music that we're doing mm-hmm. I'll find a warm-up um, I fall into that trap too of doing yeah. the same 10 warm-ups or yep. whatever but it's it's making sure that the students are engaged that's more important than finding a new warm-up because a mm-hmm. new warm-up takes time to teach, takes right. time to uh, learn for them, and then they have to get better at it. And, and you, you could spend two weeks on it before you get to the point where it's actually doing what you were hoping it was doing. Mm-hmm. So I think finding a warm-up that is specific to what you want it to be in the class, even if it's just a simple bump, 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 five-note scale, mm-hmm. but you want to work on – ah vowels mm-hmm. take that five note scale and make sure they're singing the same ah on every vowel it doesn't go ah you know and close off or whatever right. it might be right. i think that's more important than what the warm-up is is how you're using the warm-up then as as far as what i think is most important for my groups are more ear training yeah and and uh tone building warm-ups so i'll spend a lot of time moving between uh, half steps on chords or singing chromatic intervals or I do a lot of chord things. The, one of the last warm-ups we always do in concert preparation, I have them sing a, a chord. It's bass on one, on do, uh, tenor on so, alto on me, and then soprano on the top do, and I'll just move them around. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, I'll move each individual part around gotcha. uh, cool. to get them and then eventually bring them back to the chord so yep. that they're listening, changing the vowels. We're doing things like that with, with what I want to do with my group. I think that's the most important thing. They're going to get technique from their voice teachers. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I realize that's different than in a high school. You're the voice teacher. Yep. So you yep. do have to spend more time on yep. that. Um, but for me, I spend a lot of time on that ear training because we sing all a cappella music. And if you're just singing the note and not listening to anyone else, you're not getting the intonation and the tuning, the blend, all of that that you want. So I do spend a lot of time on that. Um, and then when I was teaching high school, always end with uh, sight reading technique. Right. Um, so singing scales, mm-hmm. chromatic scales, uh, major scales, doing intervals, thirds, fourths, fifths. Um, and then always, always having at least, at the very least, a sight reading exercise, if right. not sight reading and rhythm reading. Right. Because um, you need to build, you need to be build the musical skills. You need to build that literacy, and it will help you with your music teaching down the line. Uh, if they're reading, at least at the basics. You know, as a piece gets more complex, you'll have to pound some notes. But right. if they can read it, right, you're going to move a lo- the process oh, sure. a lot faster. I always compare. I always tell my students, it's like you're building a house. That when you finish the piece, it's the house. It looks beautiful. The you know sinks are in, the water's running. But you gotta start by getting the foundation. Yep. You gotta build dig the frame. In the ditch yeah, you gotta dig all that stuff. I said that's what all this is. We're working our way toward. That's right. That, that picture. So. And the more that you can do, the the more solid the foundation is, the bigger the house can be, and Absolutely. the more more elaborate and the yeah. the things that you can do. But if you are, if they don't know what a half note is mm-hmm. and you have to tell them how long to hold it every right. single time they right. see it they can't get to that next level that's just killing your rehearsal time exactly too. you're yeah. absolutely right you're trying to work pieces so uh what about for conducting practice so i 
I was here at USD. I got well, great and waving my arms in the air. And then I taught elementary for six years and didn't really conduct anything. Yep. And then I went to middle school and was like, oh, okay, how do I do this pattern, that pattern? What what advice do you have for those of us who are don't conduct all the time or want to get better kind of on our own? Conducting, and this is what I tell my conducting students too, um, conducting is a skill like anything that you practice. Mm -hmm. It's like playing the trombone or playing the piano or whatever. If you don't practice it, if you don't work at it, you won't get any better at it. So you have to find opportunities to do it. Uh, Find a church choir, conduct something have the teach the students in your elementary choir how to conduct yeah even idea. just even if it's just to practice you know the rhythms the the ta ta titis have them conduct while they're doing it because then you have to do it too um and you you do have to recognize as an elementary conductor you are not about is my four in exactly the <laughs> right. right place it's right. uh sing now sing yep. now sing yep. now <laughs> and it's it's a lot of pointing yes um, yes and, and really, that's what, what happens in all of your gesture. That's what it is. As you get, as the kids get older, the musicians get better, then you can do more mm-hmm. with the, the patterns that you're taught. Mm-hmm. But it's really just about doing. You, you have to do it. Um, be standing, even just standing in front of a mirror right. every day and doing exercise. We have these nice Elizabeth Green exercises that I give the second year conducting class. And the the idea for them with these exercises is that they should be able to stand up in front of the conducting class, conduct one of the 20 exercises, and we should be able to look at the sheet of paper and tell which one you're doing, even if you don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you just do that uh, two or three minutes a day where you stand in front of a mirror and conduct and say, would I sing for that? Can mm-hmm. I understand what I'm trying to say to myself? Um, that's the key to it, uh, to to the the skill of conducting the there's so much more to conducting obviously than what you do with your hands right but it just that part of it just needs to be done mm-hmm. on a regular basis i felt like too i had to teach my students a little bit of what some of my gestures meant absolutely i'm raising my hand you're supposed to get louder or softer what a cutoff is sometimes i forgot it's like oh they don't know what this means now, there's some instinctual stuff yeah to that but yeah absolutely and that's why i think by getting them to do it mm-hmm. especially at the elementary level if you're having them if you're doing a uh, say ta 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 and you want them to crescendo make them do the left hand crescendo while they beat the right hand mm-hmm. now, that gets you know complicated for yeah. some of them or yeah. even just have them get bigger with their right hand yeah. as they're conducting it but it's it's that they have to experience it not only visually but i think actively will Absolutely. help them yeah. learn it as well so you mentioned this a little bit earlier about how you split up your rehearsal time so chamber singers is a different thing altogether, but like what you taught high school, you'd kind of said well, almost five to seven minutes, some sight reading, and then rehearsal time. How do you how do you plan out your rehearsals so that you're getting optimal time? Well, first let me say the the best laid plans are never <laughs> that's right always <laughs> going to happen. That's right. So I think it's it's about making sure you know the most important things you want to get through. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my rehearsal. Um, when I was teaching high school yep. or with my my lesser select college groups, yep. there was that warm-up. Yep. And then I always did announcements right after warm-ups. Okay. As, well, like I said, in Chamber Singers, we sing something and then do warm-ups. Yep. I feel like you want to do warm-ups early on so you don't forget them. Yep. <laughs> um, but not, uh, not so early that they're not engaged already. Right. Yep. So that was how I always started. We sang and then announcements. And then it gets into things. And what I try to do 
is I try to build up to the hardest part and then end the rehearsal with something they can do really well. Yeah. My, my thought is I always want them to leave rehearsal singing what they're doing, singing something that they know and love. I don't want them to leave rehearsal singing the four measures we've been working on for 15 <laughs> minutes. I think that's terrible. And I yeah. don't ever want to spend 15 minutes on one thing, but yeah. I want them to leave rehearsal of having enjoyed what they did. Even if they hated 40 of the 45 minutes, mm-hmm. if they leave up, I think that's really important. So I try to structure the the meat of the rehearsal in that time between say 10 minutes in and 40 minutes in if it's a 45 minute rehearsal sure. i mean people have different yep. lengths of rehearsals but yep. so so a good 25 minutes of of really hard work and then what i try to do with that is like i said earlier i'll ramp up to a section we'll mm-hmm. sing something we know yep. to the part where we want to work and then we want to work that section. Now, the key to that it, that I found is don't work on anything in the ramping up to it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe touch something if there's yep. something you want to work. But if you spend all your time on that, you never get to the other thing. Right. So sing into it and then sectionalize that. What I'll do is if it's learning new music, like new notes, yep. I'll, I'll split the group up. Yeah. Um, I'll send them into sections. I did that when I was teaching high school too. Yep. I think it's good for your, your leaders to have some accountability yep. and some, some more buy-in to the, to the choir. And it's good for the students to see that and then want to work towards that. Your younger students, mm-hmm. if it's something we already know then, or they have done in sectionals enough and now need to put together, it's small chunks. Don't do, you know, four pages. Right. Do uh, 18 measures or Mm -hmm. 16 measures and then go to the next 16 measures. Um, Build it up. Chunk it out. However much you need to do it. I also think a big key is to, to vary your order don't don't fall into the the trap of basses then tenors then altos then sopranos then put it together mm-hmm. you know basses and then altos and put the basses and altos together and then do the sopranos and then add those to the basses and move things around so where when i used to sit down and plan i would kind of write out how i wanted to break it down yeah i've done it long enough now that it's kind of instinctual at sure. this point but i do think it's important to have a good sense of how long you want to spend on a piece. Um, I watch the clock a lot. Some people will write on the board when they want to change pieces to keep them accountable. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. But at the same time, if you're really into something, it's okay maybe not to do the next thing on your plan because you're getting this and you don't want to leave it before it's learned. But I think having, and don't, the other thing that I try to do is not over program my goals for the rehearsal. Right. Um, don't say I'm going to accomplish this, this, this in this piece and this, 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 and this piece and this, 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 and you know, have this litany of things that you want to do smaller, more attainable goals for each rehearsal, but then attain those goals. Yeah. You know, don't, don't let those goals be the, on the paper, you know, the, 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 lesson plan you have to turn into your administration don't let that just be on there attain the goals that you want to attain and that's how your group's going to get better Uh, if you just have the goals Mm -hmm. and don't attain them you're not going to get to the point where you can really delve into the emotional background and, and meat of the music wow do you have any advice for wrapping up here any advice for young 
teachers out there in their positions or for um, those you've been teaching for a long time or I about think, choral I think, music in general? I think you love what you do. Mm-hmm. Love everything about what you do and share that love with your students. And that's more than just love the music. Right. That's love the choir. Mm-hmm. That's love the rehearsal. You've got to love the process. If you yeah. just love the concert, you're not going to yeah. go very far. <laughs> right. You've got to love the process of getting to the concert. Um, teaching music is hard. There's no way to sugarcoat that. Mm-hmm. People often, I think, get into, as, as a college teacher, I see those majors that come in that I'm going to major in music because they love music. Right. Those people are great. Mm-hmm. But if you don't love the process of music, yep. you're not going to be successful and you're going to feel frustrated. So you've got to find, you've got to love everything. You've got to celebrate good things and not dwell on bad. Mm-hmm. We as musicians, our whole life is is trying to make something better. So listening for the, the bad things. Yeah, yeah. But celebrate when they do something well, sure. when you do something well, yeah. when something good happens. Um, otherwise, you're going to have a miserable life. Right. <laughs> you, you've <laughs> got to find that. And then as, as, as cheesy and kind of cliche as this sounds, you've got to find something outside of the music world too. You've got to be able to leave. That, that's, that's one thing that I, I made a deal with myself. Mm-hmm. When I'm in my office or I'm at school, I am all about my job. Yep. When I go home, I really don't want to be about my job anymore. Right. And I think that's healthy. Yeah, it is. I, if you go home and then you pull out the CD and you listen to uh, what pieces you want to do or you check your email every time it dings, like my phone, my I can only get the email if I push the email button. I don't right. want to know if somebody right. emails me. When I'm home, yep. I, you need to do that. You need to yep. find that time because music, the music profession is a hard one. And it's as a music teacher, it's especially challenging because not only do you have all of the things that are tied up with being a musician, but you have all those things that are tied up with being a teacher too. And so you need to be able to balance and find those things. And I wish I was better at it, Mm. but I really do. That was one of the things, deals I made with myself. Work when you're at work and try not to when you're at home. Um, It'll it'll help you get balance in your life and uh, it'll make it more enjoyable in both places if you're not pulled between the two. Yeah, that's great advice. So I end every podcast with the same question, and that is what is it you're listening to now or what is it you have on repeat? Um, What is it you can't get out of your ears? So uh, right now for me, it's actually Fiddler on the Roof, which is interesting (laughs) because uh, uh, you wouldn't think that with me. But my my family, while I've been working this summer with the music camp and yeah. and things, my family has been participating in the Vermilion Community Theater's production of Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> and so I just went to it. Uh, it just ran last weekend. And okay. so I went to it three times last yeah. weekend. And I had seen it a couple of times in rehearsals. And I'd heard, you know, my, my girls singing at home. Yep. And so in, I can't get those. And it's a different song every day. <laughs> but I, I tradition pops into my head yep. a lot. Yep. And uh, this morning it was the Two Life song. And so Fiddler is kind of stuck in my head. Uh, I don't really have anything on repeat like in my, in my car or anything uh-huh. like that. Um, I told you that I do try to separate work from home. So I don't, I don't actually listen to a lot of music for pleasure. Right. Um, 
I, I tend not to do that. But so right now in my life, I would say it's the music that I've been listening to for this uh, program that's yes. here. But it's also um, Fiddler on the Roof stuck in my head these days because of the show that my girls were in. Yeah, fun. Well, David, thanks for being on the podcast. You my gave pleasure. a ton of great information. My pleasure. And, thanks uh, for doing this. I think yeah. it's a valuable resource for, for teachers and uh, future musicians out there. Well, thank you. And uh, that's it. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Complete Drywall Services. For all your hang, tape, texture, and finish needs, call Troy at 605-261-4845 or find Complete Drywall on Facebook. Thank you to Dr. David Holdhusen for being part of the show today. Thank you to you, the audience, for listening to Episode 3 of the Music With Mike podcast. Thank you to our sponsor, Complete Drywall Services. A special thanks goes out to Lori and Roger Hogstad. Music on the podcast provided by Broke for Free is used with permission. And hey, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And if you'd be so kind as to leave a review, that would be excellent. It helps moves us up on the rankings and helps others find us who normally wouldn't find us. Next time on the podcast, I sit down with special guest NAFME president Denise Odegaard to talk all things music education. You're not going to want to miss this. We'll see you next time on the Music with Mike podcast.